Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During this edition of the show, we give you access to local physicians and public health experts with information on COVID-19 and recommendations related to it. If you have a question for our guests, please email it to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. This is the Dirty Lowdown on a lovely day, too. Good morning. It is Wednesday. Time for Doc of the Rock. Week 31 or so, and we're still going strong. Things are still heating up locally and on the mainland. Things are seemingly kind of close to running out of control down in some areas of the lower 48. It would be a great day for your questions. We've been doing this for a long time, and seemingly we go over a lot of the same territory, but we always delve into new things as well. But there has to be questions on your mind if you... uh, want to take this opportunity to get, take advantage of three doctors in a room with me. It's your chance to ask them some questions now. Dr. Steve Smith from Providence, Dr. Evan Jones from Canna, and Dr. Shanna Theobald from the Kodiak Ambulatory Care Clinic are with me this morning. Lowdown at kmxd.org or 486-3181 will get you uh, a question in here we can put to the panel. Morning, everybody. Morning. 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 Happy post-election day to you all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some widespread support for that. Um, how are we doing? How are we doing? I was impressed with how many people showed up at the polls. I know out at Bayside, they said it's the most they've had in forever. And historically, it was a great turnout. So yeah. totally aside from health, I was blown away by participation, which is awesome. And oh. everybody wore a mask. Everybody did. Was it a safe environment, do you think? I mean, you guys both went to the same place. At Bayside, it definitely was. They had little signs on the floor that were a fathom or six feet apart. And they had, uh, Chief Rue was very good at directing everybody to stay socially distanced. Everybody out there, so hats off to them. They did a very good job. And I thought it was um, well done and, and very safe. Shannon, you did the early voting or the absentee in person. That was uh, kind of an interesting experience, too. Yeah, I just went to Kodiak Island Borough. I thought there was early voting, and I showed up, and, you know, they made it clear that it wasn't. It was just absentee ballot. Right. But, yeah, we just handed. It was really chill. There was not that many people there, so it was very safe. (laughs) Uh, So, Steve, you went yesterday in the morning, though, when there was kind of a crowd. Uh, I did. I mean, I, I was there about 10 minutes early, and there were probably already 30 people in line, but everybody was very respectful outside, and and everybody had their mask on. Um, it's cold, so the masks were warm. Yeah. Well, it's kind <laughs> of... Kind added of, benefit. Isn't it kind of hard to accommodate when, when the community, as of last Thursday or so, went to yellow, and which means, you know, you're technically not supposed to be in a group of over 20, um, and then we have an election event, and you almost have to say, well, how am I going to do that? Because election is more important than 20 people in a, in a space, but let's just use our common sense and spread them out. Uh, and that's what they did. And in Bayside also, they we were in the big um, fire truck bay 
and and they have their uh, exhaust system was going that they use to if they're running an engine in there they can exhaust that whole thing so they had a very they have a very effective ventilation system and with the spacing and mask I I think that exposure risk was what I would consider pretty low yeah there was also the record mail-in ballots this year as well not yeah. just in Alaska but around the United States which I think helped a ton it um, must have measurably helped down south. Mm -hmm. um, how are we doing, though? I mean, you've sat in on some conferences with Dr. Zink. Um, we're seeing some really, really high numbers in the state again. There's some crunch on the resources, on ICU beds. Um, is it, Are we going to get a handle on this, or is it? do you, do you perceive it to be sort of, this is something we're going to live with and it's going to keep being out, somewhat out of control? Yeah, we are on that kind of exponential upward trajectory right now. The state of Alaska as a whole is. Kodiak is still doing well, but I think that's because of all the measures that we're taking. Um, we are third in the nation. Dr. Zink gave an update on the 30th of October. We are third in the nation as far as new cases per 100,000 per day. And we are, you know, we're seeing those over 300 to 500 cases per day, which is a lot for our population in Alaska. And her whole point was that we, I mean, the more we keep doing to wear our masks, keep our distance, keep our bubbles really, you know, small and isolated from each other and take all the precautions that we know, you know, wash our hands, um, the more likely we are going to keep our state from being overrun. But we are, I know last week we talked about there's 41 ICU beds. We're down to 27 ICU beds. The capacity or the number of beds percentage of beds taken up by COVID patients is slightly increasing. I think it was around 4% mm -hmm. last week and 7.7%. So not a high number are from COVID at this point, but the whole point is that it won't take much to easily overwhelm our system. And we know that, you know, the rates of people becoming really sick with COVID increase the more people that get sick and the more can I high risk patients that get sick. So the whole point of her, you know, kind of update was to keep encouraging Alaskans Keep doing what you keep doing what we're doing, not let pandemic fatigue set in. Minimize travel, minimize exposures, and and that's how we're going to change the course. You know whether we flatten that curve or not. Yeah, even minimal travel. People coming back to town from Anchorage have brought it into town, and yeah. so it used to be kind of ah, if you're in state, don't worry about it too much. Uh, be careful, but we're not super worried about it. Now in-state travel is becoming problematic, mm -hmm. and we are actually bringing COVID back to Kodiak mm -hmm. just from Anchorage, mm -hmm. and where it used to be kind of a lower 48 travel problem. So, you know, for a little while longer, if you don't have to travel, I wouldn't. Right. Um, it, it, it needs to be worth it. Um, I'm trying to pressure specialists to do more video teleconferences if possible so that I don't have to send patients up to Anchorage. Um, mm -hmm. Just because it makes more sense, a lot of the stuff can be done over the phone or by video. And so that that's my encouragement. If you don't have to travel, don't travel. Kodiak uh, people spend tens of thousands of dollars to come to Kodiak, so why not enjoy it? Usually not in the winter, I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good point. So, you know, at the hospital, we're at level orange, but the specialty clinic, and we have specialists who come in from out of town, and, and I think urology is the one that comes to mind and some of those you can't do 
by video um, conference. I, I totally agree with even that if we can, you know, like cardiology, a lot of those you can do by video conference and that. But um, we're trying to, there's a risk going to Anchorage. There's a risk of not providing that care. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're walking that fine line of how to have a specialist come here, provide our patients who need access to that so they don't have to travel. And um, it's a really ongoing, everyday type of uh, concern. Yeah. And they're talking a lot about that in lower 48 too. You know, if you're having chest pain, if you're having significant mm -hmm. symptoms, go see the doctor. And there are, you know, increasing numbers of people dying outside <coughs> of the hospital that should have gone to the hospital for their chronic health conditions. So that's a good point that some people just need to be seen. And understand that the clinics and hospital here in Kodiak are very safe. Yes. Um, we really don't have, a, we have virtually no cases. I don't know that we've had, I, I don't know for certain that we've had a COVID case even walk into our building. Um, I'm not sure where the hospital is at with that, but in our, at Canna, we try to do things by phone with known COVID patients and we try to test in the parking mm -hmm. lot before they even have a chance to walk into the building. We are being careful with it. And so don't be afraid to go to go see your doctor if you need to see them. Um, don't be afraid to go to the ER because they're extremely careful in the ER. They will drive the staff crazy because they make them wear the, all the gear, the N95, everything. Mm -hmm. Even me walking in there to admit somebody, I have to put this stuff on. It drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry but about that, but we're keeping you safe. Being everybody safe. else. Being yeah. safe. <laughs> Um, Better that than having knowing that it's all around you and you yep. everyone has to put gear on all we, the time. I, I say <laughs> say it jokingly. It, I mean, I, I I understand that people are sick of it. We're sick of it too. Mm -hmm. But it's just trying to keep as many people safe as possible so that they can have access to these services. For ICU beds, is there a certain percentage of it that's already like designated COVID in the state, or is it first come first serve? I think it's first come, mm -hmm. first serve. I don't think we've had a mandate or there's not anything designated. We're, we're holding these for just COVID or cardiac or sepsis, something like that. I think it's, you know, they use the beds as they're available. Uh, but don't, don't they have to treat them with a little bit more, you know, security than and somebody that's r regularly in the ICU? So. Um, you know, I think, I, and I know at Prov, uh, the, basically they approach everybody who gets admitted like they are a COVID patient. Oh. I mean, they're using those precautions. So if they have to do a breathing treatment, for example, um, even if it's somebody with emphysema or asthma and, they're in, and they've ended up in the ICU and they need a breathing treatment, it's a closed circuit system now. So we've so they really take precautions to avoid aerosolizing um, exposure for other patients and the staff. I mean, it's part of this is you want to keep your patients safe. You also, we have a limited number of healthcare providers. And so the hospitals in Anchorage and here, we work to, in the clinics to keep our providers safe so that we don't tax our own healthcare resources. Most ICU beds have their own room, like mm -hmm. one bed per room, so you're, you can kind of really you close yeah. the glass door and keep whatever's in there contained to some extent. 
But, I mean, the other big thing about ICU use, we talked a little bit about last time, and Dr. Olsterholm really addressed it in this most recent podcast, is there's really a trifecta of shortages, potential shortages. The beds are actually kind of, you know, we can expand beds, but it's healthcare providers, it's PPE, and it's the medications that are needed yeah. in the ICU. So when you intubate somebody, you need drugs to sedate them and then keep them some sedated, and, you know, you need intubation drugs to kind of, um, make sure that they're not going to fight the intubation. And so, and those are actually, a lot of those drugs are already on a kind of critical mm -hmm. short supply nation list. And, and the other big thing is, you know, we're, any resource that we overwhelm is going to be a limiting part of this. So it really is important to just keep on keeping on and not let the fatigue kind of, you know, let us make those decisions that drop our guard and expose, potentially expose ourselves more. Cause you, and the other thing is you just don't know who's going to get really sick from it and who's going to need that ICU level mm -hmm. of care. And, and so the more we all just are in this together and keep on being cautious, the better. The, how do we deal with the, you know, the fact that this has been the mantra for a long time though, and we've seemingly been doing that for a long time and now it just remains the same. You know, it's, it's, we watch the numbers go up and we get the same message, wash your hands, wear the mask. Um, you know what I mean? I mean? It seems sort of like, boy, isn't there something else we can do? Or, you know, because the, the next step seemingly from everywhere else that's dealing with it is you go through these lockdown things and then mm -hmm. you run into people that don't want to deal with lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So, is it inevitable that this is just going to continue to spread at, at a slow rate, maybe if we use some pro pre precautions, but it's yeah. just going to continue to spread? I think right now it's we're looking at a continue to spread. And, it, and you use the very key word, if we can keep it slow by wearing a mask, by stay, keeping our distance, washing our hands, if we can keep it slow, then we have a chance to not overwhelm our ICU beds, our clinics, our hospitals. And so uh, it's really key is, is if we can just keep it slow mm -hmm. and smoldering rather than a whole flash fire. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting, you said 31 weeks that we've been doing the lowdown, is that correct? It's in that ballpark. I mean, know? that's and that's like forever. Mm -hmm. That's not a long time, that's forever. This has been going on forever. Um, in, you know, now we're hearing the term pandemic fatigue. And, and I think we've said, even said we're in this, it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if we're halfway through the race. I have no idea. I just know that there's a lot of hills ahead and uh, it's like a cross country race where you can't see the finish line. You just, we just have to keep going. I think it's more like those ultra hundred mile races at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and also I think a lot of it, you know, it's almost, like a war like the more little battles you win along the way the better off you mm -hmm. are and it can be a long time you know some of the wars that if you look in history have been fought for months years or a year i don't know exactly how long but i think it is just you know can when the nation is in that mode with we are you know when i look back at history world war ii world war one when the great influenza was going around it was world war one and there was you know, that the nation was just had to keep on, you know, doing the things that would help the nation win, essentially. And I think I kind of think of it like that. And we're not used to having to push that hard that long. We've had it pretty easy, relatively, you know, when you look in history. But um, I, 
I mean, as, if we can hang on till we get a vaccine, you know, one big thing is once we get that vaccine, it's, and even when we get the vaccine, it's not going to be released quickly. It's not going to it be get to all the people that will need it. And it might only be 50%, you know, 50% effectiveness is the minimum required by the FDA to be approved. Um, so there's still going to be more that we'll need to do longer, but at least, you know, that's one big kind of milestone where we can start getting that herd immunity. But yeah, it is, it is a long haul. You know, and you mentioned World War One and the Spanish flu pandemic um, during that time. And if you look at all the pictures, everybody wear a mask. What yeah. is the big deal? Just wear a mask and keep your distance, yeah. wash your hands. So, you know, when you, people are going, well, it impacts my life and stuff, look back in history. Our forefathers knew what to do and, and got through it. Yeah. Um, question when, when a little bit about uh, travel you know when you t talked about uh, in-state travel being you know well, last week we dealt with oh do we want to go trick-or-treating or not you know and that went out the door pretty quickly for a lot of people in town it, but there was always that kind of is it safe to go on a long distance thing well maybe we should take take that risk and it'd be easier just to go to Anchorage or Fairbanks but uh, uh, going to Chicago or something would be more problematic. Um, the the school district in Petersburg just announced change, you know, a plans to change the quarantine rules because they're being more protective at a community level. I mean, you you guys are going in today to talk. I mean, I think there's a powwow you mentioned with right. the school district right. today. Um, if that's the recommendation you're giving to people in the community, would would that kind of a recommendation come from the medical community to the school district about maybe looking at a different policy when the kids and when the teachers go off and um, for Thanksgiving, for instance, or for Christmas? Um, our quarantine problem, and this goes right into a different question for you, to Dr. Jones. Somebody said several weeks ago you said nothing replaces two weeks of quarantine uh, you're now telling people to test, wait five days, and you're good to go. Um, why has the quarantine period been shortened, and why is it no longer 14 days for yeah. travel-related people? Yeah, so there is a balance. Um, we want to capture as many people as possible uh, who have the disease, and the, I, if, if our goal, if our number one goal is say, I, I hear these companies saying our number one goal is our employee safety well if that's your number one goal you should shut down and have them all stay at home because it's better for them to stay in the most protective area where they're exposed to the limited number of people it's not our number one goal society keep, has to keep moving forward my background is in business and economics i have a bachelor's and master's degree in economics um, and so i understand that there's a balance to this that we need to keep people safe but in any any efficient way if nobody in Kodiak leaves their house again that's the, that's the mo that's the safest thing we can do for a period of time for this disease but it's not healthy for people and it's not healthy for the economy 14 days is kind of the gold standard that's kind of what we've said is the gold standard it's hard to ask somebody who's been up to Anchorage for a day trip to now quarantine for 14 days, miss two day, two weeks of work. 
They're just not going to do it. And people are, are going to get really fatigued fast and, and not want to do any of this. So it is a compromise. My big thing is to say um, at, at five days, even if you're exposed on day one, um, at five days, the vast majority of people who got uh, have COVID are going to test positive by day five. And so it's a safe compromise. Is it safer for them to quarantine for 14 days? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it, uh, uh, is it reasonable to expect everybody who leaves town to come back and quarantine for 14 days? It's tough to ask that. And so, yep, I compromise for the sake of keeping people at work, uh, keeping people at school, keeping businesses running, keeping the just people, uh, keeping the economy open. And so we can become so insular uh, that it's actually detrimental. And that's what I'm, 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 my compromise comes from. Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before. There's a, there's a graph, it's a curve where time is on the, you know, X axis and percent positive is on the Y axis. And five days out from exposure is when you're going to get, I don't know the exact percentage. I'd have to kind of actually calculate it from the graph, but maybe like 70, percent 77 over 80 percent over 80 and then 14 days is when you're going to get over 90 percent so it's just the more you wait the more you're going to capture people that actually have that that you know covid infection in them so that's why 14 days is the gold standard and recommended and but five days is also you know it's practical and it helps at least catch a lot more of people that we wouldn't have necessarily caught if it you know if they'd been tested sooner or if they hadn't been tested at all it comes from, you know, medical kind of guidelines, and it's not going to be perfect, but at least, you know, we're doing the best we can as far as balancing practical, you know, people need to get back to work, get back doing things versus staying home for 14 days, which, I mean, ideally, if everyone could stay home for 14 days right. and have no repercussions, then that would be ideal. But yeah. There was just a story on the news this morning about somebody that tested positive on the 14th day, you know. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. There, there's always going to be outliers when mm-hmm. we say kids generally handle this fairly well. Yep, kids are going to die from this. It's unusual, but kids are going to die from it. And there's going to be people who test positive at 14 days mm-hmm. for the first time. And there's going to be people who are still carrying the virus uh, 40, 50 days out. Right. Um, there's outliers, but those are those are the exception. We're not shooting for the exceptions. We're trying to treat as many people as possible. So in, in regards to the school district here, do you think the policy they have in following the state mandate is, is works fine? I think they're doing a good job of trying to keep the kids safe and um, erring on a very conservative approach, uh, which is, I think, the right thing to do. Um, does it make it easy to do virtual learning and teaching? No. I... I can only imagine what it's like. And you talk to parents, and they're, like, ready for just kids to go back to school. So it's the, you know, Dr. Ledoux and and the district are, I think, being very conservative to protect the kids. You guys are in, like, a really weird position, though. I mean, doesn't this kind of put you in an ethical quandary in a lot of ways when you're faced with these kind of decisions about when when you're giving advice to the school district or you're giving advice to a, a, a cannery or to a church about whether or not you know 
what, what's my medical recommendation as opposed to here's the economic reality of what we're dealing with here. So don't you have to make some compromises there? And, and, and does that cause you any problems? I think you got to listen to all the sides. We've been yeah. pretty bad about trying to understand other people's points of view in the last couple of years here in America. And <laughs> I, I think all people sharing the blame of it, not, not right or left or up or down or whatever you want to say. I think we all share some of the blame. And part of it is things that I hadn't even considered when I go to these meetings and people bring up a point, it, it completely changes the way I view things. There are tough decisions. I thought for sure that, you know, you know, we've had this discussions that kid can, kids can pass on this disease too. There's no doubt. Viral loads tend to be lower and less likely in kids 11 or younger. And so I thought elementary school teachers are not going to want to deal with mass. I was wrong. They want the kids to have mass, and I was totally fine with it. I don't, I don't really care. I, I thought I was doing them a favor because I've worked with kids for years, and I would hate to have to try to keep a mask on a kid. Frankly, the kids have done better mm -hmm. than the adults. Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, when it comes to wearing their masks, they're wearing it six hours a day, and I sometimes can't get – I can't implore adults to wear it for an hour and a half or other times when they go out, and they don't want to do it. So it it's uh, – it is listening to people's needs and wants. And so the earlier question about the 14 day or the five day, that's where that comes from is listening to people's needs or wants. There's a lot of things in medicine that we call the gold standard that we don't do because it's not efficient, it's too expensive, whatever reason. But this other way of doing it is pretty darn good. And so by listening to others and being willing to compromise, uh, I think that's the way we move forward as a, as a society with this. Yeah. I think what's important too is bringing the expert opinions to the table and you know being able to kind of have that as part of the discussion. But I completely agree, listening to both, listening to all sides and and finding kind of the middle the middle ground, the middle way for a lot of these things is what is really practical at the end of the day. And Dr. Osterholm did you know give epidemiology kind of recommendations for when to open school and um, it was if there's 25 new cases per 100,000 cases you know keep schools closed if you're having five if you're five cases or less per 100,000 new cases diagnosed per 100,000 per day then you can reopen hospitals should have at least 25 percent extra capacity which Alaska does so basically it's just kind of looking at you know some kind of measurable parameters of when to kind of call the shots or make the decision and I think those are the kind of things that medical providers can bring to the table to add into that discussion and it's good to have that voice but again I completely agree with Dr. Jones that's not what's ideal is not necessarily what's practical and, and not the end-all be-all but I, I honestly looking at the numbers I think Alaska a lot of the schools are going to be closed in Alaska and a lot of schools around the nation are going to be closed because we're going into winter numbers are surging it's a virus that wants to infect people that haven't been infected before. And just looking at the reality of it, I think the schools are going to know soon enough what, what needs to happen. And, you know, there is a good chance that they're going to be closed a lot longer than we all wish for. But, but then you have those social ramifications that come in to try exactly. and dictate that you do something different because the kids are going to suffer. Yeah. So it must be tough. You know, but when, when I was, you know, when I was, all, when I was a kid years ago, I was taught to, to, to respect doctors and to listen to what they had to say. 
which I still believe in. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was worried there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it must put you in a weird position now, Lord, where you're you're not being respected as much, I guess, or your opinion. If I'm if I go to a doctor for a medical opinion about something, and he tell me something. I'm not the one to say that's, you know, I've got a different different response here. Uh, now you're dealing with the medical decision and all these social decisions that come in too, or somebody else giving input. Um, well, I think what we're seeing, Mike, is that, and you're right, you know, 50 years ago or when you were a kid or whatever it was. <laughs> But 25. 25, okay. <laughs> That's right. But we're, in the old days, doctors were more paternalistic, you know, mm -hmm. and now we, medicine has evolved to involve the patient's input. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we're now the patients are the whole society and what's kind of best for not only the individual but the group. And we, and we want to involve you as a patient and you as a family member in these decisions. So we're not an authority, we, we shouldn't be an authoritarian medical decider. Completely agree. I, I actually hate paternalistic medicine. Uh, some people enjoyed that kind of status of being the expert in things. Um, there are still people who come to me and see me and I say, well, this is what I think you should do. Give them a list of things. And when they come back and nothing has changed, I'm like, are you taking your medicine? Oh, yes, yes, I'm taking my medicine. And then you call the pharmacist and they haven't even picked it up. And if they just communicate to me, I don't really want to do that. That's, that's not my thing. Well, there's other ways we can approach this. And that's the same thing with this pandemic is we're going to put our expert opinion forward. Mm -hmm. If that's not acceptable, let's work out something that is. The whole... Well, you can take it or leave it, and if you don't want it, go see somebody else. I hate that kind of stuff. Um, I'm here to treat people, uh, not patients, and um, I, I want to figure out something that's going to work for all of us. I actually think uh, I was in sales for quite a while, and I actually think being a good doctor is being a good salesman because I'm going to have to sell uh, mm -hmm. possibly sticking a needle in yourself every single day as the healthiest thing you can do. One that's gonna make you gain more weight in some cases, uh, as the healthiest thing you can do for yourself. If they're unwilling to do that, I, uh, there's other methods that we can do. There's things that aren't quite as good. Once again, they're not the gold standard, but I'll work with you and I'll try to get you as healthy as I can with what you're willing to do. Same true with this pandemic. There's, I mean, frankly, the gold standard for getting rid of this pandemic I wouldn't be excited to do. Um, let's all stock up on food and hide for a month where nobody's allowed to leave the house. Uh, it'll go away. Mm -hmm. Didn't we try that already? We didn't do no. it, though. No. We didn't <laughs> I mean, completely sure. disconnect yeah. <laughs> yeah. contact with everybody so the virus could just die out and never come back. <laughs> it <laughs> felt like that. <laughs> it felt like <laughs> it. <laughs> I, 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 being honest, even during that time period, I wasn't hiding out for a month straight. Right. I mean, I... I'd see my friends from a distance and we'd talk. I was doing outdoor activities. I wasn't strict about things. I was work. trying to be careful. Yeah. yeah, we had to go to work every day. Yeah, we, um, we, we, uh, we're in a profession that uh, 
in med school we're, we're probably in the same area for med school they tell you listen if you're sick stay home let me tell you something that's a lie right. they don't <laughs> want doctors to stay <laughs> home, you never stay no. home. Yeah. unless you're dying <laughs> and maybe you can and stay home. Really? I actually had one doc in a lecture you know one of the docs who was saying if you're coming on to mine just remember you better be in the hospital as a patient or working one or the other um, and the other professor was like, oh, we don't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> or you get, or you get under, oh, oh, no, you get the patient who says, doc, you look worse than I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, we've all been there. But the, yeah. the tough part is there's not a lot of spares in this town. Um, uh, I have, uh, once again, I'll say Canada has done an awesome job supporting me. Uh, I feel very supported through the whole epidemic. And when I get sick, it's, I think I was probably more, I put more pressure on myself, but it's hard to replace doctors. I'm coming up for jury duty, which I think is a civic responsibility. It's really hard for me to justify mm -hmm. doing jury duty when I have a thousand patients looking to see me. Um, it's hard for me to take, set aside time when so many people are dependent and and on top of that, I have a week of call in that month that nobody's going to want to take. I mean, it's seven 24-hour shifts. It's not like, hey, you just finished your seven 24s. Why don't you take mine too? It, it's, it's a tough one. I still don't know what to do with it. In a month, you do seven 24-hour shifts? Yeah. It's a week where you're responsible for all patients having babies being admitted village calls calls from clinic um, you're filling in patients who need to be seen in clinic you're so, all shaking your heads like this is something normal this is <laughs> well <laughs> normal in reality maybe uh, I, it, I, I i don't want to get you give you the idea that i'm up sleeping at the hospital for a week straight because i'm not it's just that i have to be within 20 30 minutes of the hospital at all times uh, Steve has had the misfortune of me being on, I'm sure, at least once where I didn't quite make it in for a delivery. So <laughs> no. he's running upstairs because he is there. Um, the babies come when they want to come, but we're supposed to be within 20 or 30 minutes of the hospital uh, so that we can catch babies and, and take care of very sick people and admit patients. And you're getting woken up all, day, all hours of the day and night for a week straight. Um, so a week out of every month you're doing that. And, and believe it or not, it's kind of fun. Really? Yeah. I mean, to me, call is using a whole different group of muscles, mm -hmm. memory muscles. It's a completely different type of medicine than office medicine. So it's kind of a fun break yeah. in some ways. It's super exhausting sometimes, but fun. I, I would miss it if I didn't have it. So one thing I want to say, though, was now if any of us feel symptomatic for COVID, we are not going to come into work. We're not going to buck up like we did in the old days. It, it so I, I want to, yeah, yeah, I want to make definitely that has sure. changed things. Yeah. So I don't want anybody to, to go, oh, those guys are going to come to work even if they feel it. No, no. I saw the little home. lawyer whispering in your yeah. ear. Well, your no, there, I mean, I think, <laughs> and, and, and same with all oh. of our staff too. I mean, we do an attestation every day. Um, at the hospital, we just scan a barcode thing and say, are you symptomatic or not? And and we've had individuals who go, you know, this may be a cold, but I am not coming in today until I get further evaluation. Yeah. So this all of us are going, we take this very seriously. We, you know, if, 
if tomorrow I feel like I have COVID symptoms or Friday when I'm back on, I, somebody else will work until we figure it out. Yeah, and I don't so, even have symptoms, but I've gotten two COVID tests in the last week. It's just when things are happening, we're constantly monitoring yeah. each other. And he is absolutely correct that if you have symptoms, until you can attribute it to something else and prove that you don't have COVID, you're not coming in. Right. Right. And so here's it is something that has changed. Yeah. So. yeah. Here's the thing. We don't want to be the COVID super spreaders no. because not only does that end up meaning so many more people and that are higher risk in the community are likely to get infected from us. That means all of our colleagues are going to have higher exposure too. So it's just the risk in the game right now that if a provider has it and is going to work in passing it on, that's the worst case scenario for the town. You know, the 15-minute rule sort of comes to mind here. Does that limit the amount of time that you have to spend with a patient? I mean, if you're supposed to be with somebody with a mask on for only 15 minutes uh, to, you know, under the CDC rules that got changed last week it seems like you shouldn't even be in the same building with somebody for 15 minutes or you're a you're somebody that's susceptible to a contract trace you know so Um, you know from the er standpoint that 15 minute rule i think was with the cloth masks and not great ventilation so you know from our standpoint everybody wears an n95 mask and face shield if they walk into that er ask even and then if we're even worried about the patient, we're putting on a full PPE mm-hmm. unit. That's in the hospital. That's in the hospital. So you're right. If you're out of the hospital setting and that 15-minute rule is a much more worrisome uh, setting because you're, it's a cumulative setting. Mm-hmm. So I think it's in the context of how you're approaching your patients. Mm-hmm. And I don't know in the clinics, but I know pretty much nobody walks through the door if they're symptomatic. Exactly. First. Yeah. We're trying to make it so that no one's coming into the building that might possibly have COVID. And then if you know if you are in the room and something comes up, we are doing the rapid tests on people in you know in mm-hmm. the room, so we know we know well quote unquote no we have a very good you know percentage of likelihood <laughs> that they don't have COVID at that time yeah. when we do tests. Got a couple of questions. Uh, lots of testing in the high school being done. Did they uncover more cases than expected? I can't comment yeah, on that. I I, that's that probably data. more public health or EOC. No. And I've, I've been watching it, and I mean, personally, it's about what I thought it would be. And I, I'm hoping we're kind of on the downturn already again. Mm-hmm. We've had these kind of little explosions and then you think, oh, here comes the big one that mellows out. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen mm-hmm. again. And I think as long as we're careful, it can be. Wouldn't it, should, wouldn't it not show up for another week, though? Possible. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's possible that none of this is going to show up for a week. Um, the schools have been pretty darn safe, though. They've yeah. been very careful. I appreciate everything they've done. And so mm-hmm. most of the major vectors I've seen have been kind of you know get-togethers and stuff like that birthday parties and frankly just one family member brings it home and gives it to the whole family Um, those are the ways ways i've i've seen it happening more than Mm -hmm. anything we've had a lot of patients in our clinic that are sent by the school with with the form for basically ruling out covid if they have a cough if they have 
sniffle, runny nose, anything, a lot of those kids are getting sent over for testing, which I think is excellent. Keep keep that up. Yeah. And we still have enough capacity to keep doing this for another month or so. So far, yes. And the more we keep it under wraps, the more we'll keep that mm-hmm. capacity. We are we are kind of slowing down on asymptomatic testing. We're we're trying mm-hmm. to preserve some of our stock for symptomatic people. In you know in 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 my mind, on a national level, we discuss you, you thought it was depressing i thought it was good that it's going to be getting better by summer but uh, i do think it's going to get worse over the next couple of months um and we're eventually going to start turning around mm-hmm. around march and not necessarily because of a vaccine i think it's just going to s- start slowing down and hopefully a vaccine comes at the same time and really uh instead of exponential growth we have a significant decrease uh mm-hmm. in the amount of it um Right now, the reserves are for the rapid testing. If you're asymptomatic and maybe a contact, we will still send out that test. So you can still come and get tested, and then we'll send it out. It will just take longer to get back. Sure. We're really trying to conserve the rapid test for potential you know, positive cases. Cardiologists in Anchorage, why don't we have a cardiologist or other specialist coming to minimize travel? <laughs> that is a good question. That's been the million-dollar question for at least 25 years. Right. Um, I think... We probably haven't had a cardiologist here for 20 years. We try and get them. I will pass that on to the new administrator. We, It would be wonderful. But it's um, we're lucky that we get ear, nose, and throat. We get um, pediatric. We do have pediatric cardiology comes down like four times a year. But that's a pretty special. Um, and then we have urology coming down. I, I would love to have neurology and cardiology, mm-hmm. but... I think in these times, that's not going to happen. It, it would be very nice. Is it, is it because we're priced out of the market? A couple things that happen when you come down here, um, when a specialist comes down, is they're taking time out from a probably a pretty active clinic in Anchorage. So they blocked time out, and they get here, Guess what happens? The weather keeps them here. So they, or maybe they can't get here or the weather. So uh, it impacts not only patients down here if they can't get here, but it impacts their clinics in Anchorage. So it's, it's probably an economic reason as well. But what I'm saying is we don't have enough people here <laughs> to be able to stand up a small clinic here. No, not, not for a time. lot of those, yeah. no. Okay. The, uh, I believe the last time a cardiologist came down, they got stuck here for a pretty extended period of time. It was pre-9-11, and then 9-11, it just stopped it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and you know, like even said, if he gets sick or he can't take his call, we call rotation, same thing happens with the specialists in Anchorage. They have a group. If one of them is supposed to be on... Everything has a cause and effect, you know. If you throw the pebble in the the pond, there's a ripple effect. And so, um, but trust me, I would love to have cardiology and some of the other specialists come down. Definitely. If one person only in a family gets COVID and recovers, are others in the family likely to be safe or are they possible spreaders? I would say that they have COVID until proven otherwise. Um, It is possible, and it's been done, where one person in the household gets COVID. 
Uh, it is extremely hard mm -hmm. in practice, in practice, especially if you got little kids, man. Kids, after I just finished saying that kids have low viral loads, kids are dirty and they they do spread things. And if you're you're you got a family with little kids, it's hard. It's hard to keep it from spreading within the same house, even if you use separate bathrooms, keep away from each other. It is real. And to be honest, you're you're probably most infectious when you had no or little mm -hmm. symptoms mm -hmm. yeah. uh and so before it ever became a problem for you you've probably already given it to the rest of your family so to me if you have covid i'm going to assume that the rest of your family has covid yeah the majority of cases from the china you know the early on china studies were spread among family yeah. households basically and that's it's just it makes sense you're in that same airspace touching all the same things yeah uh, even I think you uh, mentioned that there were some advances in so good, good news on the horizon. We've all been news. worried about antibodies because we've kind of all read the news. Oh man, even after three months, some people who had COVID have no antibodies to COVID. And so does that mean you can get this over and over and over and over again? Mm -hmm. um, there act actually was a study done in the United Kingdom uh, with a hundred people who had uh, no, no or mild symptoms, um, and they actually threw a, a different group in that had moderate symptoms, uh, who were COVID positive, but they had, they didn't have a horrible case. It was kind of just mild COVID at, at the most. And uh, they looked at them six months later. Some of them had no antibodies to COVID at all. But the good news was every single one of them had a T cell immune response. And that's uh, that's one of the white blood cells that is another disease-fighting uh, memory cell. We look at antibodies as kind of our body making uh, these, these particles that latch on to things that we know are bad for us um, so that the body can, can eradicate them. Uh, but we found with COVID that it only lasts for two, three months, maybe six months in some people. But now we know that the T cells have a pretty good memory uh, for this how robust that immune response is is still unknown at this point and how much of a response you're going to get from vaccinations uh are they going to activate t-cells enough to give a good immune response we don't know that yet we're still working on that i mean it's it's encouraging news though that after six months every single person had a t-cell response that we we do have long-term memory to this disease how effective that response is is still unknown so how where are we in in relation to a vaccine i mean we keep hearing different things but are you hearing anything different than if you're in russia you got one now <laughs> china's on the way too <laughs> Do they really? Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, is it effective? Is it killing people? I have no idea. Um, th that's the tough part is this is a, a weird disease. We discussed this a little bit, that this disease causes almost a lupus-like uh, autoimmune diseases in a lot of people, what we call the long COVID. Um, we don't want to start an immunization that's going to give you a lupus-type re immune response where you end up you didn't have anything and you end up with this long COVID lupus response. And so in the U.S., we tend to be a whole lot more careful about what we inject in people, at least in the medical profession. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, when it comes to giving people uh, these immunizations. Uh, and the last thing we want is a bad immunization that does have horrific side effects. And then the whole vaccination program is once again brought into question. You know, is it causing, what is it causing? This is a pretty rushed job to begin with. Um, I have said before, I will personally be taking the first vaccine available to me. I think it's part of my responsibility. Um, uh, but I understand that we do need to be careful about the figuring out what, how does this affect people in the long run? And we've had very little time to figure that out. I think we're a lot farther away than, you know, we're hoping, obviously, Dr. Fauci mentioned possibly January, but, you know, as we've seen with all these vaccine trials, they keep running into delays, which is what is expected, which is part of that, that phase three trial, you know, we talked about it being called the valley of death, which is, means that's where a lot of vaccines just don't prove enough efficacy or safety. And it takes exactly, it takes time to figure that out. There's no way to rush that process safely. And so, I mean, I think we'd be lucky if we have it by next spring, summer. Yeah, I think March is super optimistic. Yeah. I've been saying March, but I think that's probably optimistic. Most likely. So, the, the vaccine companies, let's put it that way, there's got to be an enormous amount of money involved in mm -hmm. here. And on the one hand, you have the public who wants to be convinced that this is safe. So how does... How does transparency work in the vaccine industry when they're trying to be sort of proprietary so that they have the one that wins sure. and at the same time convince the public that this is a safe thing to take? Well, I, I know that the, the all of the vaccines that are currently um, in process at, at different stages, um, at least... We have some assurance that the FDA is watching the safety of those. I think there are some vaccines that are in what they call phase three. So the first phase is they find like 10 to 50 people and give it to them and make sure that they don't die or something. And then they go to phase two and they do a couple hundred and phase three, they're doing hundreds to thousands and looking at, does it work? Do they have bad side effects? And so, the FDA is um, monitoring that, uh, which is reassuring from the science standpoint. Um, and that is a concern, is are we rush? We don't want to rush too fast that we give healthy people a bad drug, which is what a vaccine is, um, and cause more harm than we do good. So it's a... Uh, so we don't know yet. We don't know. I mean, I, I think, but I, it, but we have to be assured that there are people watching to make sure that we're not going too fast. Yeah. Study participants yeah. are reporting, you know, any symptoms or anything that is happening. And then also, so the data is coming out. I think the proprietary part, you know, how they're actually making their vaccine is probably somewhat kept Super secret, secret and that, to but some the extent. FDA Although, goes. yeah, a lot of them, you know, when you read about how the vaccines, different vaccines are being developed, there's, you know, pretty good information about what kind of technology they're using mm -hmm. and how they're being prepared. But, yeah, it is, I mean, I think the ultimate thing is the numbers, the data that from the actual participants receiving the vaccine or not receiving the vaccine and seeing who gets infected or not is what they're really looking for or who gets side, who reports any side effects. 
You know, this could morph off because I have like five or six different questions. We keep talking about whether we're going to talk about antivirals and um, about different types of vaccines. So maybe let's hold that discussion off until next week. Um, There's one really important thing that I want to say if we have time today. Dr. Zink's um, little presentation that she gave on October 30th, masks. She talked about efficacy. She looked at a lot of studies. You know, they looked at a lot of retrospective studies of masks in different environments. So on airplanes, anybody who was wearing a mask throughout their duration of their flight, even when they were on a flight with somebody else who was infected, so far there hasn't been any cases where people have become positive. Same thing in hair salons, same thing, you know, in small businesses. Um, I would go watch her little kind of update. It's on the DHSS website because she has really good information about masks. And I think, you know, we, we have talked about that every show, but I think, you know, the more data that comes out supporting it, the more kind of just helpful it is for people to remember and, and just remind people, keep wearing your mask. That is one thing that we can easily do that can that is showing more and more to make a difference. So just wanted to put that plug in. Got a follow-up here. Uh, a person, the person about the cardiologist said her cardiologist would be willing to come to Kodiak if there were more people to see than I, just I will, I will pass <laughs> it on to the uh, administration. If they're willing to make day trips, I guarantee their <laughs> clinic would be full every yeah. month. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, it does say something about good weather. Weather's a, <laughs> yeah. The weather's a big deal. Well, how do you schedule somebody out for good weather? Well, weather, hunting season, fishing, all are factors, too. If yep. we can if you come coordinate on, it. Come on know. a Friday, you can go yep. fishing for the weekend <laughs> or right. do a quick hunt. Well, you know, we, we try and entice them any way we can. Don't you have that little speedy plane, though? <laughs> well... No. Well, well some I, of the cardiologists have airplanes. Maybe we could get them to fly down. That too. <laughs> then it's weather dependent. <laughs> and they don't but, like flying across the well, ocean. Well, less though than commercial. But I was also thinking about this in terms of what you said earlier about travel, air travel anchorage, you know. Um, it, does the cause the hospital make other arrangements? I mean, or maybe one of those charter companies that has a fast plane that, you know, would that be a better thing to do? <laughs> yeah. Well, the hospital doesn't make those travel plans. Oh. Um, I mean, we don't, we're not in the business of travel. Um, we use the LifeMed medevac planes if we have to get somebody emergently to Anchorage. But, uh, you know, I think that's way above my pay grade, but. And at twenty twenty five thousand dollars a flight, it's probably above the cardiologist. Yes, yes. pay grade too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> even a cardiologist. <laughs> but but I do you know not to. It would be nice to have um, more specialists. But one of the problems is we're a small island and we don't have always a big patient volume for a particular um, service and. Although we would love to provide that, I, I mean, it's sometimes economics does play a factor in how we get specialists here. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more. COVID has really brought out the use of telemedicine. I mean, it's that's going to be a much more normal process now than we've ever had before. And, and there are some benefits to that. We're going to talk about that next week, too. We want to talk to you a little bit about 
those medical apps that people have on your phone and whether or not that's a valuable thing and and the future of telemedicine. Um, even just for to close today, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about vitamin D. You know, um, it, you've said it on a number of occasions before, and I'm curious as to why vitamin D is an effective supplement to take for COVID or for just general winter health, I guess. So first of all, in Kodiak, uh, I think I mentioned this one time before, I did an experiment where the fisherman said, hey, I got tons of sunlight during the summer. I don't need vitamin D. And it was kind of both of us curious. He's out in the sun all summer long. At the beginning of the year, we tested him for, in the spring, we tested him for vitamin D. He was low, as expected. He wasn't supplementing. At the end of the summer, when he's golden, toasty brown, tested him again, still low. Mm -hmm. And the reason is we just don't get enough direct sunlight here. We're probably made to be on hot summer beaches and our bare feet with very little clothing on and that's the way we made our vitamin d we're not doing that anymore we're far north where even when you get a decent amount of sunlight you don't make enough of your own vitamin d when it comes to covid why is vitamin d important i don't know we have a great mechanism for why that is and you guys share if you have know why we have noticed that in influenza and other respiratory illnesses that they found that people with adequate vitamin D levels do better than people with inadequate vitamin D levels. On top of that, they've thought that it might be contributing to why there's racial disparities that darker skinned people have not done as well with COVID because on average, the, the dark skin uh, cuts down on the vitamin D levels. And those low vitamin D levels have led to poorer outcomes in many of the minorities. It's probably one of many reasons. Um, so I don't think we have the exact mechanism. I just know that studies tend to show that good vitamin D levels, you do better with respiratory illnesses. More than vitamin C. Uh, I can't speak on zinc. Uh, there's always interesting things with zinc. I'm not going to make a comment on that. Um, but I, I can say this is one I can latch to and say, yep, there's been multiple good studies that have shown this is helpful to respiratory illnesses. I don't know why, but they're good. I, I know there's some data that says that vitamin D3 has anti-inflammatory pro properties, and maybe that's yeah. a mm -hmm. contributing it factor also, in that. But. Yeah, it also boosts the immune system, mm -hmm. and The Lancet actually has a good article about some of the mechanisms that have been shown, you know, not just now for COVID, but in general, how it exactly how it boosts the immune system by kind of causing the virus to be broken down more quickly by the immune system cells. And then also, you know, it, vitamin D, zinc, a lot of these micronutrients, um, minerals are built into our cellular processes for, you know, that, that the, the building blocks that the immune system is built out of. So the more you have, the more you can build that effective kind of I don't know, I kind of think of it like building a car. If you don't have all the right parts, your car is not going to work right. It's very similar with vitamin D, zinc. Um, yeah, so, but there is, there's, we don't know exactly the mechanism. And it also, it helps prevent it. It also, people that are sicker, or people with normal vitamin D levels tend to be less sick than people who have low vitamin D levels when they do get really sick from COVID-19. So, But you can't overdo the stuff. You can overdo it. And yes. so that's why my number has been... It's a compromise. Some people are taking a lot. I recommend 5,000 international units or 125 micrograms a day. 
Um, I think it's a good compromise. You require more than the RDA here in Kodiak because we get none from sunlight. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I tell all of my patients is 5,000 international units of vitamin D3 daily. You can buy it at Safeway, Walmart, your health food store, uh, and it's easy to get. Yeah, I agree. I recommend the same. If we test people and they're low, we do 50,000 units weekly for 8 to 12 weeks, whatever their insurance company will pay for. And your insurance company will pay for it if you've been you know shown to be low and i think 95 98 percent of people that i've tested have been low so it really true like it really supports what dr jones has been saying is this where the big horse needle comes out and you give them a shot of that no, no it's just like you can that. get gummies you can get oh, really? pills. Yeah, yeah they're really easy to it's really easy to replete no i'm just and thinking 80,000. 80, to, to be honest to the listeners i if you are not taking vitamin d and you're curious if your vitamin d level is low I'm just going it to is. tell you and save you money. It's low yes. if you're not taking anything. So to me, you should take 5,000 international units a day for three months and then get tested yeah. to see if that's enough for you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a waste of time to take it, if, it to check your levels if you're not taking it currently and you live in Kodiak, Alaska. That's a great point. Okay, so like the... I mean, is this a special thing for flu season, or is this something that's a regular part of our diet? I I had always heard you're going to get most of your vitamins and minerals from from eating good food. Uh, now you're saying we need to supplement that. Are the daily multivitamin things that say they have like seven thousand? You know, so uh, I, I'm not a naturopathic doctor, but I will say I'm really big into getting your nutrition out of your food. Mm-hmm we're missing something I mean, it's just like the analogy of building a car we build this whole car and we're like man it looks like a car but it won't start and we haven't figured out yet that oh we need to put spark plugs in it it doesn't have any spark plugs we find that like resveratrol is out of red wine is really healthy for you well we put it in the capsule form makes no difference i mean people are taking this stuff but it does nothing for people but there's something in red wine, a glass a day seems to be kind of good for you. Mm-hmm. And we try to package these up in pills and we are not getting the full picture. We don't understand nutrition yet. If you're getting 10 servings of fruits and vegetables a day, if you're eating closer to a hunter-gatherer diet, because that's really how, you know, physiologically, our bodies are wired to eat more from the land. So the kinds of foods that you would eat if you're a hunter-gatherer, which are Roots, greens, veggies, fruits moose that are in meat. season, squirrels, meat that you, yeah, exactly, <laughs> trap or catch on the land. That's when you're likely to be. I mean, when I was in um, Bush, Alaska, Nome, Kotzebue, testing elders who are eating a native diet, their vitamin D levels, their cholesterol levels, their labs were excellent. But you look at the younger generation who's eating mostly junk food from the store, mm. and they were deficient in a lot of vitamins. So that's, I mean, if you're getting it from your diet, you have to have a really good diet to make it effective hey fun show yes thank you thank you i appreciate it thank you so much we'll talk about a lot of new things next week thank thanks for your day my vitamin d